An object lesson is never far away when you have children. (laughs) Good morning. It is great to be here, and it is wonderful to be able to welcome you into the first Sunday of our season of Lent as we begin to again focus our hearts and minds towards the cross of Calvary, towards Easter, and what our Lord Jesus has done for us. And so I believe it's fitting that as we are concluding our series in 1 Peter this Sunday, we reflect back on the lessons we've learned in studying this important letter that Peter wrote to the church, the early church that was suffering intense persecution. And as we think of the suffering that they had to endure, we now begin to focus on the suffering that our Lord Jesus endured for our sake in order that we could be freed from sin, that we could receive salvation. And so I would invite you to again begin that journey of reflecting towards the cross and asking God to work in your heart again as we approach Easter once again this year. As we begin, would you bow with me and let's pray together. Father God, we thank you today for this opportunity you've given us to gather together in worship. And we also thank you for the opportunity we have to now be edified and encouraged by your word. And so, Lord, as we come to your word, I pray that we would not come simply as an intellectual exercise, Lord, that this isn't just something that we want to do to add head knowledge, Lord, but we want to to add heart knowledge. We want to meet with you, Lord, in a real way, that your word, Lord, is a living word, and that by your spirit, may we encounter that within our hearts and within our spirits this morning. And so, Father God, I simply ask that you would do that, that you would meet with us and that we could leave here this morning challenged, encouraged, and spurred on, Lord, to continue to walk with you. And so, Father, today as we, as we consider even the temptation that the Lord Jesus faced from Satan, and Lord, we know that we have a real adversary in this world, we pray, Lord, that you would give us, Lord, insight and, and strengthen us this morning to face him head on, Lord, and to have victory. And so in this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our final passage for this morning, of course, is 1 Peter chapter 5 and verses 8 to 9. I would invite you now to turn there with me. And let's again just refresh our memory on the couple of the key verses from within this passage that was just read for us that I want to focus our attention on as a framework for the sermon this morning. Let's look at verses 8 and 9 once again. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Now let me ask you a sort of Captain Obvious question. Have you guys seen the Captain Obvious commercials for, I think it's Travelocity or one of those, maybe not Travelocity, but one of those commercials where there's Captain Obvious and he makes obvious statements. So let me ask you a question like that. My question is, would you like to be able to successfully resist Satan? Yes. Okay, good. We're on the same page here this morning. That's good. Captain Obvious question. Would you like to be able to make the devil go running? Yes, these are obvious questions, of course. And the flip side of these questions is, would you rather let him just drag you down? Would you, let him, would, would you rather just have him defeat you each and every time he attacks? 
Of course not. We want to have victory in this spiritual battle. We want to be able to stand firm in the faith, as Peter is telling us. But the question that each one of us has asked, I'm sure on multiple occasions, is how? How do we do this? We know we want this, but how do we do it? I have a few steps for you this morning that I'd like to draw for your attention that I believe will help us and equip us in this all-important battle. The first step is don't underestimate the enemy. When it comes to the devil or Satan, there is much confusion in both our popular culture and within the church as well. One of the most prevalent caricatures of Satan is, of course, that little red devil, you know, with the little horns, the tail, the pitchfork, and the red pajamas. He, he sits on your shoulder and whispers in your ear and tells you to, to do bad things, right? Like pinch your little sister, right? <laughs> That's the most common caricature that we have of him in our, in our world today. One such story is of a woman who bought an extravagant and very expensive dress. When she brought it home and her husband saw the price tag, his eyes got this big. We can't afford this. What were you thinking? To which she replied, the devil made me buy it. The husband then asked, then why didn't you just say, get behind me, Satan? To which the woman replied, I did. And he said it looks as good in the back as it does in the front. I just had to buy it. Now, of course, the one description that the Bible does give of Satan is as the tempter. He is that. He does tempt us, and often in these subtle ways. It is true. But it's a dangerous thing to simply underestimate him as only in that role, as only that little tempter, and believe that that is all that he's capable of. Far from simply being a mischievous little devil, here Peter describes him as what? A roaring lion seeking someone he may devour. This is big language. This is not someone to take lightly. He is a formidable adversary and someone that we should regard as such. In the world of sports, one of the greatest thrills is an upset. We all love a good upset. This, of course, occurs when the clearly superior athlete or team is defeated by the inferior team. The underdog, and everyone loves a good underdog story. We've made countless movies and watched countless such underdog stories. One such upset occurred in the sport of boxing in the year 1990 between Mike Tyson and Buster Posey. It's ranked as one of the greatest upsets in all of sporting history. Now, those of you who are unfamiliar with this particular bout, going into this title fight against Mike Tyson... Buster Douglas was a 42-to-1 underdog. A 42-to-1 underdog. In case you're not aware of how odds work, that's huge. Basically, he didn't even belong in the same ring as Mike Tyson. Tyson was on a 37-fight win streak, 33 of them by knockout. And he was by far, at that time, the most feared man on the planet. However, Buster was undaunted, and he battled Tyson into the 10th round, where he shocked the world by dropping Tyson to the canvas with a single punch. In the aftermath of the fight, it became apparent that Tyson had badly underestimated his opponent and had gone into the fight badly out of shape by his standards and mentally unprepared. 
He simply thought, I'm going to go in that ring and knock this guy out just like everyone else. I don't need to prepare the same way I have in the past. And sadly, this is how too many Christians enter the ring against the devil. Spiritually out of shape and mentally unprepared to face a formidable foe. Now I can tell you from first-hand experience that stumbling into a spiritual battle against the enemy in this sort of condition, I can tell you it's not fun. We will go down faster than we can blink. Don't underestimate the devil. He's not described here as a kitty cat. He is a roaring lion seeking those he may devour. Now, one of the things that Peter draws to our attention in this text, in verse 9, is that he is the one who is perpetrating the sort of suffering and persecution against the Christians in the world. It is not God who perpetrates this against us. It is not God who causes us to suffer. It is Satan who is attacking us. God is allowing him to do this, but he does it for his own purpose and glory. But Satan is the one doing it. In verse 9, we see here, he says, Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now, last week, I asked you the question, are you ready to suffer? And I also drew to our attention that we don't face suffering in our context in any significant way. But when I read a verse like, for we know that our brothers around the world are undergoing the same kinds of sufferings, well, it's not the same kinds of sufferings as us. It is a suffering at a whole other level. I'm sure most of you are aware of what happened in, well, not in Egypt, but in Libya next door, where terrorists, Islamic extremists, kidnapped 21 Egyptian Christians, then led them on the seashore of the Mediterranean, videotaping the whole thing, saying, we are coming after anyone who is the nation of the cross, symbolizing Christianity and Christ, and we're coming for you. And then beheaded, all 21 of them, in one single act of violence, and their blood spills into the waters of the Mediterranean Sea. What had they done? Simply profess Christ. And it can be seen on their lips... The translators explained that the words most of them uttered just moments prior to being killed was, Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. And as I, as I look at my brothers, moments before meeting their creator, and the words of Christ, the name of Christ, are on their lips, that does something to me when they beg, Christ, have mercy. Because the mercy of Christ is required not just for the men about to die, but how much more for the men who are perpetrating this violence. That Christ's mercy can even extend to the terrorist and the killer. And so as we look at these pictures unfolding around the world, and seemingly on an increasing scale in Europe as well, in France, and recently in Denmark, we see that a storm is beginning to brew, and there are many, many voices throughout Christendom who are saying, a storm is coming. And I believe that Peter is saying the same to us today. Prepare ourselves. Are we ready to suffer? Because I believe that in the years to come, we are going to see suffering and persecution in our nation unlike any which Christians have experienced in this nation before. I feel convinced of that. 
And in fact, we are already beginning to see things happening towards us simply for being Christians than has ever happened in this nation before. It is going to increase. Are we prepared? And how do we respond? Are we going to cower away because of this? Does this make us fearful? Or instead, are we arming ourselves with the attitude of Christ to say, I will stand firm. I will ramp up my game. I won't just hide away in the shadows because persecution is coming. I will be all the more bold in my witness for Christ. For this is what Christ is calling us to. And so as we consider our enemy, these are our two responses. Hide away, cower, or do we stand up bold and all the more ready to take on the fight? Don't underestimate him, but also be ready to face him. Step two, always be prepared. Always be ready. Peter says, be self-controlled and alert. Have any of you watched those documentaries on National Geographic of predator animals, like the, the tigers and lions and things like that? Has anyone ever watched those sort of documentaries? I enjoy them from time to time. One I, I watched recently that really caught my attention was of how a lion stalks its prey. Now, it does it much differently than a lot of the other predator cats. A lot of the other predator cats rely mostly on stealth and speed, remaining hidden until the last moment where with blazing speed they, they, they run out at, at high speeds, tackle their prey, and take it down. The lion, at least in this instance was using a different tactic. It was out in the open. Its prey, which happened to be a wildebeest, knew that the lion was there. But the lion used a very interesting tactic. It acted as though the wildebeest wasn't even present. It acted sleepy and bored and just kind of shuffled around, making the wildebeest okay with its presence, saying, I'm here, but I'm no threat to you, lulling the wildebeest into a false sense of security. Meanwhile, it had lions on the other side of the clearing beginning to sneak up. And then, as the wildebeest became aware of their presence, it began to get distracted and started to look this way and that way and back and forth. All the while, the, the experienced hunter over here is sneaking closer, looking bored, looking nonchalant. Every time the wildebeest looked the other way, a couple of steps closer, a couple of steps closer, until the wildebeest looked the other way a little too long and wham! Lion springs into action, and I will not describe for you the scene from that point on. All I will say is Declan came in the room, and I quickly turned the channel. So, <laughs> it wasn't a pretty picture. This is very similar to a tactic that the devil often uses with us as Christians. We know he's there, we know he's out there, but he lulls us into this false sense of security. We become comfortable with his presence. Ah, it's just the devil. No big deal. I don't need to get away from him. I don't need to be ready to face him. And he lulls us to sleep. We get distracted. We let our guard down. And wham! In a moment of weakness, in a moment of unpreparedness, we are taken down with a temptation or an attack. We're a sitting duck. And so when the temptation or the attack comes, we react in our flesh rather than in the strength of God's Spirit and in His Word. You say things in that moment that you wish you hadn't said. You look at things that you know you shouldn't have looked at. You do things that you know are wrong. In your heart, you know they're wrong. And in the end, you end up hurting yourself and others. You get taken down because you weren't prepared and alert. And the worst part of it all 
is you finally discover just how far you've actually drifted from your daily walk with God. And the really scary part is just how quickly that can happen. This is why Peter says, be self-controlled. Don't neglect your spiritual disciplines. Don't neglect your daily walk with Jesus. Be alert and prepared. Be in the word. Be praying in the spirit. This is the armor that we put on every day that enables us to be aware and alert that the enemy is near. He's lurking. He is looking for an opportunity to take us down. And we need to be ready for it. Step three, learn the devil's playbook. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says to not be outwitted by Satan and then says, how? For we are not unaware of the devil's schemes. We are not unaware, he says. Now the fact is, the devil is a master tactician. If one approach fails to work, rest assured he will regroup and attempt another attack at a later time. We have only to look at the wide variety of ways that he tempted Jesus in the wilderness to see that he doesn't lack creativity or persistence. And finally, when Jesus defeats all three, all three of the temptations, it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 13, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. You catch that? In other words, those of you who are fans of uh, Inspector Gadget, in the immortal words of Dr. Claw, he left saying, I'll get you next time, Gadget. Right? He may have been defeated in that moment, but he was going to be back. Even though Jesus, the Son of God, beat him three different ways, he's like, okay, I took my licks this time, but I'll be back. I'm going to try a new strategy, and we know he did. Now let's take a quick look back at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verses 2 to 3. I want you to notice that within Peter's instructions to his fellow elders, he also identifies some of the main temptations and attacks that they will face within that role. He writes, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now, within that passage, can you pick out the three temptations that he lists? The first one's obvious, right? Don't be greedy. Especially using dishonest means to use your position as an elder, as a pastor, as a church leader, to, to accumulate wealth for yourself. That is out of the question, but it is one of the temptations that a leader can face. And as obvious as that temptation is, sadly, many churches, many Christian organizations have been devastated by this exact thing happening. So we must be on guard against greed. Satan knows that he can tempt us with greed so easily, and we must be on guard on that, even as Christian leaders. The second temptation is equally as obvious. The position of authority is one that is very tempting to use your power and authority to lord it over other people. Another way of saying it would be cracking the whip and calling the shots. Just telling people how it is and this is how you're supposed to do it. Now, this heavy-handed authoritarian approach to leadership is one that Jesus confronted directly when he told his disciples, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. 
Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And we know that Jesus set the ultimate example in this regard by washing his disciples' feet. He humbled himself, washed the disciples' feet, including Peter's. Remember that. And Peter was the only one who raised any objection to Jesus washing their feet. But finally, he too allowed Jesus to do it. And we hear the echo of the words of Jesus in what Peter instructs the people now when he says, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but set an example. Service is the key to greatness in God's kingdom. Now this leads us to the first temptation that Peter addresses in this passage to elders, which is very subtle. It's sneaky. Serving out of obligation. Notice it says, not because you must, but because you are willing. Now I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. There is nothing that sucks the joy of Christ out of someone faster than serving his church out of obligation. Nothing. Nothing will steal your joy more quickly than doing it out of this sense of responsibility and duty. Now, I'm not talking about a healthy sense of responsibility here. What I'm talking about is serving God because we feel we have to rather than because we want to. And what a difference that makes. Do you want to serve the Lord or do you feel like you have to? I just, I gotta. What attitude is motivating your heart right now? Because if you're doing it because you have to, chances are you're burning out. Chances are you're feeling like this is a heavy burden and I don't think I can keep going. But if you're doing it because you are willing, because you want to, what a difference that makes. Psalm 100 verse 2 says, Serve the Lord with gladness. With gladness. With joyful hearts. Not with this sense of duty or obligation. No, with gladness. It is a privilege to serve the Lord. And Peter reiterates that. Serve not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Now I can tell you firsthand that as a pastor, there are some days, there are some moments where the work can begin to feel heavy, more like an obligation than an opportunity to serve God. And when that happens, I can almost immediately begin to sense my joy diminish and my enthusiasm begin to fade. In one such instance, I remember specifically just taking it to the Lord in prayer, Asking God, oh God, restore my joy in service. I don't want this to feel so heavy. I want to be, I want to be eager to serve. And shortly afterwards, I came upon this passage and it spoke clearly to me. And it reminded me of something incredibly important. I serve God not because I have to, but because I love him. And because I love him, I want to serve him. I want to please him. God did not twist my arm or guilt me into becoming a pastor. No, he gave me a tremendous opportunity and a privilege to do so. And I said, yes, Lord, whatever you want, I want it. And I willingly gave my life in service to him and his church. And what a difference that makes. So let me ask you today, are you giving your service to God begrudgingly or willingly? 
Are you serving him because you love him and you just want what he wants for you more than anything else? Or are you doing it because, yeah, I guess you saved my soul, so I should probably serve you a little bit. Right? What a difference that attitude makes. So let me encourage you today. Go to God. If what he's asking you to do feels too heavy for you, like it's too much, take it to him and ask you. Ask him to restore your joy. Remember that Jesus is calling us not to work for him, but to work with him. Remember, Jesus invited us to take his yoke upon us, which means that you and Jesus are side by side in that same yoke. He doesn't send us into the field and then lounge on the deck back at home, cracking the whip. No, he is beside us, always with us, and his presence makes all the difference. So if you've fallen into Satan's snare of serving the Lord out of obligation... Chances are you're feeling burnt out and tired. Let me encourage you. Go to God in prayer. Ask him to renew your joy and your willingness to serve and rediscover the joy of his abiding presence. So whether you are a church elder, a leader, a position of authority or not, learn the devil's playbook and recognize his schemes so that you don't fall into them. Now, in this regard, let me pause and ask you a very important question. Did you know that the devil has a file with your name on it? Do you know that? He knows your tendencies and your weaknesses better than you know them yourself. So let me ask you, are you aware of your greatest weakness? Because I guarantee you that if you went and asked Satan what your greatest weakness is, he'd be able to tell you just like that. Because he's been pushing that button on your greatest weakness repeatedly for most of your life. And chances are, there's a, there's a very good chance you already know what it is. Because you've faced that attack and temptation many times. There's a great proverb from an ancient Chinese general, Sun Tzu. He wrote, If you know your enemy and you know yourself, you need not fear the outcome of 100 battles. Know your greatest weakness and you know the way Satan's going to target you. And once you can figure those, way, those things out, you begin, begin to prepare and strategize your defense to know, you know what, I'm weak in this area. Why would I put myself out there to be tempted in an area I know I'm weak? I need to guard against this. I need to come up with a strategy to defeat his attacks. So, learn the devil's playbook, and you will be strengthened and begin to prepare on how to defeat him. Now the fourth and final step the most important of all of them. The first step I gave you was never underestimate your enemy. But the fourth one is never underestimate Jesus. Never underestimate the Lord whom you serve. You see, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 states, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. Yes, the devil is a fearsome opponent. And if you try taking him on alone, unequipped, unprepared, and without Jesus at your side, you will fall. It's not a question of if, it's when. You will be taken down. But Jesus is greater. Jesus is stronger. For every attack that Satan throws your way, Jesus has a defense. God has promised that every temptation that comes your way comes with a way of escape. And we see that represented in Jesus' life. We saw that in the video. Temptations come. So when you defeat one temptation, be prepared, be ready, because he'll come again with a new one. 
And again, with the power of God and Jesus at your side, you can again achieve victory. And so even though he comes again each and every time when you stand firm, resisting the devil and the power of God and in his preparation for you, he will go running. Peter doesn't say he might go running. Peter says he will. The devil will flee. And you can have victory in your daily walk with the Lord. And so I hope you're encouraged by this today. And may God provide you the strength and the preparation to stand firm in the word and in the power of God's spirit. Oh, Father, we thank you today that even though we are waging, Lord, a war not against flesh and blood, a war against powers and principalities, ones that Satan has established in the heavenly realms and in this world, oh, Lord, we praise you that you are greater and that for every scheme that the devil hatches, Lord, for our defeat and for the defeat of the church, oh God, you have made provision and a way of escape. And so, Father, today we pray that we would equip ourselves, seek your face. Oh Lord, if, we are, if there's anyone here who is weary in their work, oh Lord, they've fallen into that snare of serving you out of obligation, I pray, Lord, that today you would address their hearts. Oh Lord, speak words of comfort and renewal. And renew us from within, Lord, that we would serve you out of willing spirits with joyful hearts. Lord, build up your church. And we pray today in Jesus' name. Oh Lord, we pray in your authority. Satan, get out of this place. You have no room here. Your, your schemes for dividing us, for bringing about disunity, sowing seeds of discord, they have no place here. Jesus is Lord. And as we look to you, Father, unify us, build us up, strengthen us. And may we be used to further your kingdom in this town. For your glory, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.